Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. What a week, Julie. Oh my God, what a week. Let me ask you something. Did you think that we were going to make it to this moment? There was a point where I really did not. I'm glad we did. I'm so happy to be here. There was definitely a point where I didn't think we were going to make it to this. Yeah, I really feel the same way. Wow. So obviously, as you guys know, last week was the election and it was really just a very anxiety provoking week, I think for everyone. It was something personally in my lifetime I have never experienced. I would imagine for a lot of you listening, you haven't either. And I don't know, it was just the combination of sleep deprivation and adrenaline and anxiety and fear and excitement. And the culmination of it all really, I think, made for this very unique just state that we were all in last week. Oh my God. It was definitely a once in a lifetime experience. Absolutely. And I think probably the most profound, exciting thing that happened is that we have our first woman, woman of color, vice president in the White House, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. And it is very much a privilege to be alive to watch that happen. Oh my God. I So much so. Yeah. I don't know what it was like in your house, but it was a very, very emotional experience in my house. You know, I have to tell you, Julie, I didn't anticipate being as emotional as I was. I I never have been one to, I guess, cry at these types of things. And I was hysterical and so was my dad. It just over it overtook me. It was really such a historic day. It was it was I I don't know. I mean, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you can relate to just the overwhelming emotion, but there was so much happening. Also, sleep deprivation definitely had to play a role in emotions there. Yeah, of course. I also think, you know, we can't talk about the first woman, specifically woman of color, vice president, and not also acknowledge the role that black women played in this election. You know, oh my God. And not just, not just Stacey Abrams, the amount of black women that came out. And you can't, if you are somebody that who feels uh, happy about the result, 
your happiness cannot exist without the acknowledgement of the role that the black that black women played. Yeah, historically so. Historic numbers, it was truly unbelievable, truly. I also just want to say, you know, regardless of your opinions on the election or going into it, I think the one thing that everybody can kind of acknowledge is there was this real sense of camaraderie going on. And I know that may sound a little bit hypocritical because of the divisiveness in our country right now, because it's very, very rare when pretty much everyone in the country is watching the same thing. Even if you're not watching the same channel, everybody's eyes are on the same thing. And, you know, I have to say it was a pretty cool experience to have this Instagram account during this time because there was just so much happening on social media and there was so much enthusiasm and I think at a lot of times moments of comedic relief and there was just so much going on and it was a very, very, I don't know, it was this like adrenaline rush of an experience. Well, it felt like you were holding your breath for three days and then every single time there was a funny meme or a funny tweet or just something hilarious that somebody showed you or you got to share with your family or your friends, it felt like you got to exhale for a second, which was the best feeling ever. It was. It really, really was. I just, you know, it's crazy when something is happening and while it's happening, you're saying like, I cannot wait to tell my kids about this. It, It is such a weird feeling. It is. And that's what I had the entire time. I was like, I just can't wait to tell my kids someday about this experience because it was so unique. I mean, Obviously, we've never really had an election where you're waiting for results up to four days after the fact, obviously 2000 excluded um, from the conversation there, but it really was such an insane experience. I I remember feeling that way in 08 with Obama, actually, even though I was really young, I remember it so clearly. Um, But it was just, it was a really crazy couple of days. The internet camaraderie was an amazing part of it. I couldn't be pulled away from the TV. I couldn't stop checking Twitter. Everyone was talking about the same things and doing the same things. Like no matter what side you were on, like Nevada was still slow. Like you were still planning your next trip to Maricopa County. Like there were just some things that only you in this lifetime will ever be able to experience. And you won't ever be able to explain that to anybody else either. Exactly. And that's what it is. Because so often when things happen, you don't recognize the kind of historic element until after the fact, you know, you look back and you're like, wow, that was crazy. But this was so awesome because while it was happening, we were all acknowledging how unique it was. And so, you know, listen, I, no matter what, regardless of, of what side you're on, I think that you can still recognize how absolutely wild this entire thing was. And, um, you know, holy shit, it's a, things are a changing. That's all I can say. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Anything else you want to mention about that before we get into the episode? Um, yes. We, we had the best outcome of the entire thing. We don't, I know where I'm getting married. <laughs> you, didn't put your, you didn't put your deposit down at the Four Seasons Total Landscaping? Julie, stop. I, I, I woke up and I thought it was going to be a dream. There was no way that was real. Four Seasons Total Landscaping feels like a fever dream, 100%. It absolutely does. But that's what I'm saying. It was those moments of levity where you're like, you couldn't write this. You really just couldn't write it. No, no one could. Um, did you see what I started on my personal just now? Gripless posted Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons Total Landscaping. First off, that's hilarious. We should post that on comments. How good. Really good. He's so talented. Also, we, yeah, that's a good account to shout out at Gripless. Anyway, yeah, crazy week. I'm really, really happy to be back. Also, in the middle of all of this, it's we are literally, it's like Wednesday night, right? And 
which was one of, I think, the most stressful nights. And all of a sudden, we get this email, which you'll see come into play later on in the episode. And it's like, spoiler alert, Bob Saget was revealed as the mass Singer. Would you like to have him on the podcast tomorrow at 1245? And we're like, what? <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> can you watch CNN and do that at the same time or no? <laughs> so we're like interviewing Bob Saget in the middle of all of us, him him included, feeling this election anxiety. It was the, I was like, if my mom or whoever is looking down at me right now, they're probably like, what is going on? Yeah. It's just that's so, so funny. It was a, it was a whirlwind. Um, but I guess that's a pretty good transition into this episode because listen, it's a medley. It's different. And you know something? I wouldn't have it any other way, Julie. It would be it would be weird if this episode wasn't some weird mishmash medley of things. Yeah, what even is normalcy anymore? You know? I I have no sense of it. None. <laughs> okay, so Honestly, there were not that many topics this week, clearly, because the entire country was focused on the election, but there are still a couple of things to get into. So, of course, you know, you all know about Alex Trebek's passing, which is really, really sad. And we're going to start with talking about that. We're then going to talk all about the Carl Lentz cheating scandal. Then, literally this morning, the Hollywood Raw podcast dropped with Larsa Pippen. She spoke about. Tristan and Kanye and the Kardashians, and there's so much there. There's a couple of other things. And then we're going to cut to our interview with Bob Saget. Honestly, it was supposed to be 10 or 15 minutes focused on Mass Singer. He ended up having a little extra time. So we kind of were just going with it. And that's what this week is. But you know what? I feel it's very fitting to kind of fall into this in a little bit of a haphazard way because you got to just go with the times. I think so too, kid. Okay. You want to do it, Joel? I would love to. So as you guys know, every week we're highlighting a Black-owned business. And I know normally we highlight more small ones, but so many people submitted this one and it's gotten a lot of traction recently. So we just wanted to highlight it. It's called Brandon Blackwood. It was started by designer Brandon Blackwood. And basically he creates leather goods, handbags, trunks, backpacks, small accessories, etc. A portion of the proceeds go towards funding pro bono legal assistance provided by the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights really cool stuff. I personally am a fan of the handbags. The website is brandonblackwood.com and the handle is at brandonblackwoodnyc. Again, I know it's a little different than what we normally do, but I think you know we're starting out a new season and who doesn't need some new handbags? So we just wanted to highlight that one. Okay. Julie, I can't believe we're here, but shall we start? We shall. So we are starting out with the really sad news that Alex Trebek, host of Jeopardy, has passed away at 80 years old from stage four pancreatic cancer. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, we knew he was sick and not that it was necessarily tragic, but it was just really sad. You know, he has provided such, at least for me, this sense of comfort and consistency in my home for so many years. And there's just something about his presence that is already so missed and was so widely missed. And the reaction was so telling of the impact that he left. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was a figure. And I think a lot, most people's homes, um, even if you weren't a religious watcher, Alex Trebek has been on your TV a time or two. It's a recognizable voice that you would hear coming from your living room. And I think something that a lot of people are talking about is the thing with Alex Trebek and Jeopardy that was so special was that it made trivia and knowledge and knowing information just really cool, which I always loved because I felt like when we were younger and we were growing up, like not caring or not knowing thing was always like the cool thing, right? Which is like 
Also, going back to the election for a second, just to say that, like, it felt cool to have everybody just care for a moment. Mm -hmm. And that's how I always felt watching Jeopardy was like, it was just cool to care about something other than anything else going on in your life. Like, it was cool to know trivia facts. It was cool to be the one that got the question right or the answer right. So I always loved that about about Jeopardy. And I feel like he was such an important piece of just that. And I don't know. Alex Trebek is really such a figure. And it feels like a very big loss. That's a really great way to put it, Julie. It made knowledge kind of cool. That's a yeah. that's a brilliant way to put it. It's absolutely true. You know, there was this article in the New York Times by Catherine Seeley, and it was entitled, Alex Trebek, longtime host of Jeopardy, dies at 80. I have to read you guys some of this. I, I didn't put the entire thing in, but I basically put a lot of different excerpts together. I know sometimes people see long articles and they don't want to read it. It was so moving. I was... When I read this the first time to my dad, I was crying reading it, and I immediately said, I have to read this on the podcast. If you really don't want to listen, you can fast forward, but it really is powerful. It has a lot of very unique nuggets of information. I haven't even read it to Julie yet, actually. So I'm so excited. <laughs> I just think it, she, this woman, Catherine, did such a beautiful job, and we would be doing our listeners a disservice by not at least reading some of it. So let me start with that. She writes, At a restaurant several years ago, a stranger went up to Alex Trebek, the longtime host of Jeopardy, and as strangers often did, tried to stump him. Quote, the American flag flies here 24 hours a day, every day of the year, the stranger said, using the quiz show host's particular locution in which questions are delivered as answers. Mr. Trebek sensed that the stranger was looking for something more clever than a list of which buildings, like the White House, had been authorized to fly the flag through the night. And without missing a beat, he answered in the form of a question, what is the moon? The quick-witted Mr. Trebek, who died on Sunday at age 80 after a battle with cancer that drew legions of fans to rally around him, hosted Jeopardy for a record-setting 37 years. He was an authoritative and unflappable fixture for millions of Americans who organized their weeknights around the program, shooting out the questions as Mr. Trebek read the answers with his impeccable diction. One major appeal of the show, apart from its intellectual challenge, was its consistency. Over the years, its format stayed reliably familiar, as did Mr. Trebek, though he trimmed back his bushy head of hair, grew grayer, and occasionally sported a mustache, beard, or goatee. Otherwise, he was the model of a steady and predictable host, a no-nonsense presence, efficient in his role and comforting in his orderliness. And then it goes on to say, you know, that his death was confirmed by the show's producers, and they said that it would air through December 25th, and they had not made plans for a replacement. And then she says, He started hosting in 1984 when the show returned to the airways after a hiatus. Since then, he has been the only host helming every episode except one on April Fool's Day in 1997 when he swapped places with Pat Sajak, the host of Wheel of Fortune. Did you know that, by the way, Julie? No. How funny is that? I had no idea. I had no idea either, but I love that. Yeah. You're going to love this. Let me keep reading. So Mr. Trebek and Mr. Sajak had a friendly rivalry over the years as they led two of the longest running game shows in television history. For years, Jeopardy! was the top-rated quiz show in America and usually the number two game show behind Wheel of Fortune. A few weeks after Mr. Trebek announced that he had cancer, the ratings for Jeopardy! coincidentally began to soar when a contestant, James Holzhauer, a sports gambler from Las Vegas, roared through the game on a winning streak that captivated the nation. And basically, do you guys remember back in 2004 when Ken Jennings, who was that computer programmer, he won $2.5 million. It was like the craziest record ever. So this guy, recently, right after Alex's di- diagnosis, came on and he everybody was tuning in every night to basically see if he could beat Ken Jennings' record. He ended up not. He ended up um, 
just coming in shy of $58,000. But it goes on to say, Mr. Trebek said later that while he was taping some of the shows with Mr. Holzhauer, he had been in excruciating pain. Unlike many celebrities who conceal illness, Mr. Trebek was transparent about what he was going through. Sometimes his pain would shoot from a 3 to an 11 during tapings, he told CBS Sunday Morning in May 2019. Quote, I taped the show and then I made it to the dressing room on one occasion, just barely, before I writhed in pain and cried in pain, he said. In March 2020, he gave a one-year video update on his status, noting that just 18% of people with pancreatic cancer lived that long. The chemo treatments were almost too much, he said. Quote, there were moments of great pain, days when certain bodily functions no longer functioned, and sudden massive attacks of great depression that made me wonder if it really was worth fighting on. But to give up, he said, would have been to betray loved ones who were helping him survive. Mr. Trebek hosted more than 8,000 episodes of Jeopardy. In 2014, he claimed the record for hosting the most episodes of a single game show, surpassing the record set by Bob Barker, who had led the prices right for 6,828 episodes between 1972 and 2007. Mr. Trebek once said he thought game shows did well because they avoided conflict. Quote, in this day and age when there is so much social tension, game shows are valuable because they're pleasant, he told New York Magazine in 2018. Some viewers were drawn to the sense of absolute certitude that Mr. Trebek projected. As we get further into the 21st century, and we become more aware of the relativism of truth, there is something satisfying about Alex telling you it's right or wrong, Robert Thompson, a professor of television and popular culture at Syracuse University, said in a phone interview. Quote, I love that there is no discussion, no panel of experts, he said, just Alex with his cards. Mr. Trebek spurred being called the star of Jeopardy. He wanted viewers to focus on the material. The show derived its drama not from any antics of his, but from the contestants and the possibility that at any moment, fortunes could shift, with an apparent loser becoming an instant winner and vice versa. Quote, you have to set your ego aside, he said of his role. If you want to be a good host, you have to figure out a way to get the contestants to, as in the television commercial about the military, be all you can be. Because if they do well, the show does well. And if the show does well, by association, I do well. The nod to integrity was significant. Quiz shows had fallen in disrepute after cheating scandals in the 1950s. The 1994 film Quiz Show dramatized the deceit. In rea- this is so interesting. Just listen to this. In reaction to those scandals, the idea for Jeopardy! was born. Merv Griffin, the talk show host and media mogul who created the show, recounted in the Jeopardy! book in 1990 that he had been talking to his wife in 1963 about how much he missed the old quiz shows. But, he said, he recognized that the format had lost all credibility after revelations that contestants on some programs had been secretly t- fed the answers. Well, then his wife, Julianne, had said, why not give contestants the answers to start with and make them come up with the questions? It was a light bulb moment, Miss Griffin said. 79 Wistful Vista. And Mr. Griffin replied, what is Fibber McGee and Molly address? A reference to characters on a long-running radio comedy. Mr. Trebek had said he was chosen as host because he had made a good impression when he filled in on Wheel of Fortune in an emergency when the original host, Chuck Willery, was hospitalized. Merv Griffin Enterprises, which created both shows, appreciated Trebek's seamless performance on Wheel and offered him Jeopardy. Did you know that, by the way? No, that's unbelievable. I know. As you're saying it now, I'm like, fuck, I didn't know enough about Alex Trebek and I feel so guilty about it. I know. I had no idea. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Mr. Griffin also wrote the show's highly distinctive think theme, which is played during Final Jeopardy, as contestants write down questions that usually make or break them. Its 30-second countdown has become synonymous with any deadline pressure, with a woodblock timekeeper and a harp glissando finish, as well as pizzicato strings at the very end. Mr. Trebek enjoyed hearing the theme music played at ballparks and football games when managers huddled or time was otherwise stopped. 
That meant that the music was instantly recognizable, that Jeopardy had arrived, he said, that it had become, quote, part of Americana. She says a bunch of other things. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but she ends by saying, in an unscientific poll in Reader's Digest in 2013, he came in eighth on the list of 100 most trusted Americans, because he became, by the way, a citizen in 1998. Since Mr. Trebek announced his diagnosis, his admirers have flooded his, the internet and elsewhere with acomiums. Quote, despite the diagnosis, Trebek continued to work to put on his suits and read his clues, wrote one Sam Anderson in 2019 in the New York Times Magazine. Quote, it was a dignified refusal to surrender to doom, he added. Quote, he was the squarest possible existentialist hero, a man who holds the answer to every single trivia question, but not to the great final question of death. And yet he keeps showing up anyway, reading the clues, giving us every last answer he can. Isn't that so powerful and beautiful? Oh my God. Unbelievable. Truly. Right? Yeah. I mean, really very much so. I know. I read that. I saw that. I was like, I have to read this. I just, it was such an accurate description because you're right. He was so trusted. It's like you just, you felt safe. You know how there are certain people when their presence is there, you just feel a sense of comfort. You just feel safe, a sense of safety. That was him. Yeah. there And there are also certain people where their TV presence just becomes a part of your home. And it's just such a natural thing. Like to hear Alex Trebek's voice in your home felt like hearing any other member's voice in your home because for 30 minutes every day for a lot of people, he was right there and he was a trusted voice and a trusted person. And it felt so natural and comfortable anytime you heard him come on. I know it really, it's really true. And I saw so many people just in different comment section of different posts, just writing about their experience with the show. And I'm sure so many of you listening have that. And, you know, for me, I I grew up every single night, I would watch it with my grandpa and he actually passed away also from pancreatic cancer. And, you know, I just, I don't know, it's just, it's very, it's very special. And I really just feel for his family, his wife, his children, everyone who knew him. And, um, it's really, it's really, it must be a, an incredible feeling to be so unbelievably loved and respected that your passing just elicits such a mourning from the entire nation. Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. I think there are a lot of episodes, um, a couple of seasons that they put up on Netflix for anybody who wants to watch. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So anyway, we just wanted to read that. And again, you know, just sending all of our love to his family. And by the way, as I said, when Chadwick Boseman passed away, and I've said this when Kobe passed away and when other really incredible public figures pass away, don't second guess yourself as to why you feel such a sense of sadness or grieving. There's nothing wrong with grieving someone you didn't know. It's very normal. And a lot of times it can bring up other feelings and that's okay. You know, so I just think it's a, it's actually a beautiful part of humanity. Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's go to an ad break because it would be too harsh of a transition to go to Carl Lentz after that. (laughs) (laughs) So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. 
And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the Viral Turquoise Tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, let's get into this Carl Lentz stuff, Julie. I'm not even embarrassed to admit how interested I am. Oh my God. No, me either. I couldn't be less embarrassed of anything. I know. I wish Isabel was here. She's really, out of the three of us, she's by far the most interested though. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think we're all equally interested. Isabel is really amazing at being so invested in gathering all the information. So you and I can just sit back and wait till she sends it to us because she's in it in one second. Yeah. You know, it's very funny how I was just thinking about this yesterday. I'm sorry. We'll get into it in one second. It's just a thought how you almost can break down the different categories of pop culture things where it's almost an unspoken thing of who's going to do the research, not for the podcast. Like you always do the research for the podcast, but just in our own group chat, like if it comes to pretty much lower brow stuff, like a call her daddy or some YouTube drama, it's pretty much going to be me. If it's like, you know, some Drake Beyonce stuff, it's going to be you. If it's something like this, it's pretty much always Isabel. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. It's so hard to explain because something like this is so specific and unique but yes, it is very Isabel because you want to know why Isabel's really good at like the blinds, which you and I tend to not look at because it really, I think would influence us a lot, or at least that's why I don't, we, don't, we haven't really spoken about that, but, um, Isabel doesn't need to not be influenced. So she can be the one that really looks at the blinds and really goes through all of that information. Yeah. That's a great point. I'm glad we had that little discussion. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to give you guys all of the background, everything that we know. We'll get into a discussion. But basically, on November 4th, it came out that Carl Lentz was fired from Hillsong. And the announcement came from global pastor Brian Houston. And he said he was fired for, quote, leadership issues and breaches of trust, plus a recent revelation of moral failures. So first off, if anybody doesn't know who Carl Lentz is, he is a pastor most famously known for being a celebrity pastor to the likes of Justin Bieber, I believe Selena Gomez at one time, Vanessa Hutchins, etc. And for anybody who doesn't know what Hillsong is, Hillsong is described as a contemporary Christian church. It was founded in 1983 in Australia. And since then, they have you know churches in 28 countries around the world and an average global attendance of 150,000 people per week, which is insane. If you aren't that familiar, but the name sounds kind of familiar, it's because recently Chris Pratt has came under fire. He was called out by Ellen Page when there was the root of this was there was a tweet from The Hollywood Reporter that said, fresh from fasting, Chris Pratt talks about his spiritual side on Colbert. And Ellen Page quote tweeted and said, oh, okay, um, but his church is infamously anti-LGBTQ, so maybe address that too. And that's where that all sparked. That's where all the controversy came from because- Hillsong is not known for being very accepting of the LGBTQ plus community. If you want to look into it, there are you know articles from former members that said they left because they didn't feel any representation there. So that's where that's coming from, um, just in case anybody was kind of curious as to the recent news stories even before this happened. Did I explain that correctly? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. So 
A day after this announcement comes out, Carl Lentz writes a very long Instagram caption. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the most interesting or relevant part of it was when he said, quote, I was unfaithful in my marriage, the most important relationship in my life and held accountable for that. This failure is on me and me alone. And I take full responsibility for my actions. So his wife is Laura Lenz. They have three children. And again, I know some of you may know exactly who this is. If some of you just hear the name, it sounds a little familiar. It's really probably because of the Biebers. They spend a lot of time with the Lenses. Haley is constantly posting them for a while, constantly posting their children. So that is, I guess, how they made their way into, or the most prominent way that they made their way into the celebrity orbit, I would say. Yeah. If you remember back in 2014, you know, when Justin was really going through it, he moved into the Lenses house to like recovering. So I think that the Justin Bieber element, if you know Carl Lentz's name, it could be for a multitude of reasons. He has a lot of celebrity friends and followers and people that he, no one loves a celebrity selfie more than Carl Lentz. We'll put it that way. But um, if you know them, probably most specifically from Justin and Haley. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. There was, we're going to get into it in a little bit. There were all these GQ kind of articles that I think do a really good job of explaining this culture of these types of pastors and how they make their way into the celebrity world. But let's talk about this scandal for a second, because when this came out, I don't think anybody was necessarily shocked because you always got a little bit of a feeling of like, something's not right here. And I cannot confirm this with 100% certainty. However, what we have heard is that this was not a one-time incident and that there was many women who he cheated with. And I think you were the one that was telling me that it was reported that a lot of the other pastors or people on the board knew, but kind of concealed it because of the influence that he had on celebrities and based on that, because of the attention he brought to the church. Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's definitely the rumors that are going around. Um, I I didn't find this to be shocking at all. I think the other layer of why people are so uh, intrigued by the story is because it kind of has the same energy as like a level two, level three meme, where it's like, you have to know some ounce of pop culture in order to get to the level of knowing this story and the ins and outs of it. And I think that people always appreciate stories like that. Um, But I would say that people are definitely more invested in this story than I expected. I knew we would, but I think the general public is definitely more invested than I thought they would be. Same. When I had I think other people listening to this may be able to relate. It's kind of like you have different people in your life that serve as barometers for how relevant a story is. So for example, if you have like your 62-year-old uncle that knows nothing about pop culture and he's even asking you about a story, that's when you know, okay, this is big time. Clearly, this is not one of those. But I had like 32-year-old male cousins that typically don't give a shit but only come out when it's something a little bit interesting. And that's kind of how I personally in my own life, how I gauge uh, how interesting this is to people that aren't us because we're not a fair, we're not a fair evaluation. I I agree. And I think also um, there's an element of Hillsong in general that really uh, people were so intrigued by even prior to the scandal, just because of the celebrity element and the aspect of it. And it kind of uh, compares a lot in just the celebrity angle to when all of these celebrities were a part of Scientology. So I think we've always been a little bit at least intrigued by what it is about Hillsong that everyone's so drawn to and that it's constantly in our news feeds and that Carl Lentz is with Oprah and Kevin Durant and Justin Bieber. 
you have to be at least a little intrigued by that, you know? Oh, for sure. And actually what you just said, I think really leads into an element that I wanted to talk about, which again, none of this is confirmed, but a lot of the speculation that we heard is that in addition to the cheating, there have been a lot of financial rumors of what's going on, potential fraud. Again, these are not even allegations. This is just things that we have these are just things that we have heard. None of this is confirmed at all. But that there's some behind the scenes potential money things that weren't so kosher, if I could use that word here. Um, <laughs> and I guess to me, what was interesting about that was if you remember back in 2018, TMZ had reported that Carl and Justin Bieber had a falling out. We never ended up finding out what exactly happened there. And he was at Justin and Haley's wedding. So clearly that has been since resolved. But what I always kind of thought just based on the way that I've heard people in, I guess, Justin's team talk is that at his lowest points, he was very vulnerable to be taken advantage of. And I'm not saying that Carl took advantage of him financially. However, I definitely think there could have been something going on there. So I always wondered if that was maybe part of the reason for that falling out, if it even was as bad as TMZ made it to be. We never really knew. But I guess I had that in the back of my mind. So then when things started to come out about potential financial things here, it didn't shock me. And I can't say any of it with full certainty, but that was kind of just how the wheels were turning in my head. Yeah, I um, I assume there was some financial or other aspect to this firing too. Um, I don't know about the Justin Bieber aspect of it. I wouldn't be totally shocked. Um, but he was at the wedding. So if it was something that bad, I can't imagine that they would still be in touch or as close as they are. But in terms of just the church itself and the financial aspect, I wouldn't be surprised at all. There's just something telling me that if it was just a cheating thing, it clearly went on longer. There were clearly people that knew. And if it was just that component, I don't think he would have been fired. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just wonder how... It's a very uncomfortable thing, I would imagine, to have to then sit face-to-face with your congregants and your celebrity congregants specifically and say, you know, I was the one that was guiding you as to how to maintain faithfulness in your marriage and all these other things. And now I can no longer be used as an example. And I just feel like that must be a very uncomfortable conversation. And might I add, you know, I'm curious what's going to happen with him and Laura. I have a feeling that they're probably going to work through it. That's how his caption made it sound. But They've been together for a while. They have three children. It's not like this was some sort of a newlywed situation, not that that would have been more excusable or some sort of just a kind of a fling, you know? They, right. from all accounts, were a very loving, happy couple. So I don't know. Yeah, totally. And also, that's got to shake Justin a little. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, because, and, and I don't know. The reason I'm not mentioning other celebrities is because they haven't been as open about their relationship with Carl as he has. So that's why I guess we're using him as the example. But he has said so many times that these are the only people that have made him even able to ha- maintain his relationship with Haley. So it's almost like I'm not bringing it back to the Chloe Tristan thing. I know I always use that example, but it is. It's like for a second, you worry about your internal judgment. Yeah, I think with Justin, it's just – this was somebody who admittedly really helped him and really pulled him out of, you know, a really dark place. Um, and that's just, and that's not just an assumption. That is what Justin credits his, you know, kind of turnaround in his life to was being able to move in with Carl and his family and have his help to get him to a place where he needed to be. So when you're somebody who's like Justin, who 
one of the most important things to you, if not the most important thing to you is your faith. And you put your faith into somebody, even if they didn't betray you directly, there is an element of that that you have to be feeling. Totally. I completely, completely would imagine that. There were two articles in GQ, one August 2017 by Sam Shub, and it said, Hype priests, the grail-wearing pastors who dress like Justin Bieber. The subtext was, Justin Bieber and his favorite pastors have all started wearing the same mega-hype clothes. What happens when a church becomes a streetwear brand? And in that was Carl, Judah Smith, and Wil- Rich Wilkerson Jr., who is friends with literally everyone. And there was also an article in December 2015 by Taffy Agner that said, Inside Hillsong, the church of choice for Justin Bieber and Kevin Durant. Subtext, it's the church of choice for Bieber and Durant. It's where the cool kids spend Sunday morning after Saturday night at the club. For yay a little faith, it's hard to make sense out of Hillsong. Is it legit? Is it a hipster cult? And why is everyone wearing Saint Laurent? The reason that I'm mentioning just those titles and subtext is because those are the types of articles that were written about this place because there was so much kind of confusion and fascination surrounding it. And again, of course, like I said, recently, a lot of criticism due to the, you know, anti-LGBTQ plus stances. But previously to that, the focus was kind of on this new genre of of pastors, I guess, that have like made their way into the celebrity sphere and people couldn't just help but wonder how much of this was self-serving and how much of this was just natural. Yeah. I mean, the draw of the church of Hillsong specifically, I'll say, is that it definitely is contemporary and modern and has that element of it. I think there's a huge emphasis on music and just from the research I've done. And that's definitely the draw to a lot of celebrities. Um, You and I were joking actually a while ago when we were talking about like some of the anti-Semitism stuff that we were doing on the podcast where Isabel said to me, she was like, you could be the Carl Lentz of Judaism. Like that's kind of the reputation it has of being really young and fun and also um, incorporating obviously the aspects of the church. And I think that's a huge reason why you see a lot of celebrities there. Um, But there definitely is an element of it where you're still a little bit confused how everybody's just involved in this one organization and why everybody is. Right. And what's going on behind the scenes. But is there anything else from the story that you think we aren't, adding? No, I just, I think it's very interesting, not entirely super surprising, but fascinating story that I'm, maybe there will be developments with. I'm interested to see if Justin says anything. I'm interested to see what happens with Carl and his wife. Um, but that is kind of the gist of it for now. I'm sure, you know, things like this, there's always more information that comes out. So I think we just have to wait for that. But I think that's kind of it for now. I think so too. I think so too. And like I said, there has been a lot of speculation that it was multiple women, but we don't, I don't think it's right to name any names that are just speculation because I can imagine what they're going through. And so until there's anything confirmed, I just, I don't know. I just, I guess I just wouldn't feel right doing that. Like these yeah, are still course, people. Yeah. They're still people, but crazy, crazy shit, you guys. And uh, listen, if you're interested, so are we. So don't feel bad about it. Absolutely. And also the last thing I want to say is just anything that we were speaking about or questioning of is just in relation to Hillsong. It's not a uh, reflection of our feeling of the institution of religion or anything in general or Christianity. I just want to make sure that's clear. It was just about Hillsong. Yes. Good. Good. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's so crazy because like you assume like people wouldn't think that, but you're absolutely right. It's always better to over clarify because I hate when words get twisted like that. So yes. Great. Yeah, especially as two Jews who have very rarely stepped foot in uh, Christian institutions, I feel like it was important to clarify. Yeah, absolutely.
great job. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Okay, no award ceremony this week because honestly, the content was just so election-focused and uh, I don't know, it wasn't our normal. Although Snooki just left a pretty funny one that I guess we could throw it to her. Someone posted a picture of a dog and was like, you have to name it the last thing that you ate. And she comments birth control. <laughs> and we, we posted it and someone commented and was like, oh my God, thank you for reminding me. And I pinned the comment because I was like, that's hilarious. Like imagine a meme page reminds you to take your birth control. <laughs> um, if meme pages did that every day, it would still be on birth control. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally the reason you stopped. I, it, it is. I couldn't remember to take it. <laughs> so funny. Anyway. Okay. You guys. Thank God we are doing this part on Monday morning because we wake up this morning and this news broke. Larsa Pippen was on the Hollywood Raw podcast. It's hosted by Adam Glynn and Dax Holt. Adam Glynn is actually a friend of mine. We were on his podcast a while ago and we were in LA. But this comes out and we're like, oh my God. Oh so, my God. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> Actually, Adam, I texted him this morning and he sent me the transcript because I guess they must have maybe given the exclusive to Just Jared or something because literally this has broken, I don't know, maybe an hour or so and there still weren't any articles the last time we checked, only Just Jared. So I had to go directly to the source and I literally got the transcript. So all of the good discussion points we have right in front of us, we put it on this Google Doc. But basically, she went on this podcast and she was incredibly raw, I think a lot more unfiltered than they had probably expected for her to be. And she spoke about all this shit that we want to know. Again, take everything with a grain of salt. I'm not saying it's true, but she did speak on it. So it's worth discussing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. I don't know how much of it is fact or her version of fact, um, but it was definitely more than I expected her to say. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. First question. What happened with Kim Kardashian? Why did you guys unfollow each other? She said, I don't even know. I just feel like Kanye was in a place where he really didn't trust anyone with Kim. She says, have you reached out to Kim? No, I'm the kind of person that wants you to be great. I don't want to be the trouble in your relationship. If your husband feels threatened by my relationship with you, then I don't want to be that person. I've got my own shit. Let him feel really comfortable, really secure if I'm not in the picture and just see what happens. Normally when people put themselves in that situation, they think it's the other person's fault or whatever when you have issues. It's really never the other person's fault. You have to work on your own shit. It has nothing to do with other people. Basically a whole lot of nothing there is what happened other than we found out it was Kanye. Yeah. Or so she's saying so, yeah. How do you feel when Kim unfollowed you? I didn't feel any type of way. I just felt like do what's best for your family. I love you. You and I are best friends. We've been through everything together. I would never do anything to jeopardize our relationship. We're like sisters, like family. But if you have to unfollow me to make your home a better place, then do it. I was in a situation when Scotty and I had our issues. He didn't want me to hang out with them. Scotty was not happy about my relationship with them. Scotty didn't want me to take my kids over to their house. We had issues like that too. I was strong enough where I wasn't going to let him dictate what I do. I'm just not that person. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? I have so much to say and I like don't even know what it is. I know. Should I keep going? Yeah. Did you have a bad run-in with Kanye? No, we always had a great relationship. I don't know. When people are not happy and trying to figure out their own shit, I felt like they want to put pressure and blame other people for their situation. 
I've seen that happen so much that I get it. Is it hurtful? 100%. It's hurtful that people think that I hooked up and trying to ruin Chloe's life. Dude, I would never do that. That's not even my personality. My personality is all about love and support, and I've been there with them through everything. So if Kanye feels he and Kim are better without me, then let them be without me. I'm okay with that. Do I look like I'm suffering? Do I look like I'm in pain? I'm okay. I'll survive. Was it hurtful? Yes. But do I have a lot of love from other places? Yes. This shall pass too. Okay. Then they ask, again, this is Adam Glenn and Dax Holt from the Hollywood Raw podcast. You have to, have to listen to this. Why did Chloe and Courtney unfollow you as well? She says, Kanye has literally brainwashed the whole family into thinking, I don't even know what. I don't even know. He talks so much about me being this and that and that. I feel like I ran into Travis Scott one night at a club and Travis called Kylie and said that I was hitting on him. That never happened. So then they were like, Kanye says she's this and then she was hitting on Travis. By the way, that never happened. I left with the same people I came with. That never freaking happened. Was he delusional? I know he raps about being the highest in the fucking room. So clearly maybe he was the highest in the fucking room. He imagined all this shit because it never happened. I would never do that. I would never in a billion years do that. First off, truly, I, I, I'm going to keep going, but what? You know when you're bursting at the seams? Is that you right now? Yeah. Do you want to take a break to say something? Say whatever you want. I, no, I want to wait, I think. Well, actually, I don't know. <laughs> say it. Say how you feel. The Travis thing is so interesting. So interesting. And like like I said, yeah, we're taking this to the grain of salt, but for purpose of this conversation, let's just assume what she's saying happened just so we can talk about it without like a constantly justifying that we don't know. But I have to tell you, Kim definitely is can be intimidating, I would imagine. However, nothing that she says here alludes to the fact that there was any speculation of like her relationship with Kanye in terms of hitting on him. Let me tell you, whether or not this Travis thing ever happened, if Kylie did think that even momentarily, can you imagine the rage that would come from that woman? Well, by the way, it's funny because the way she's portraying the Travis thing is like, it was so weird. And he thought I was, he made up this thing and he told Kylie, like, I actually think like when she was saying that, I was like, wow, I like love that, that for even one second, Travis was somewhere where he felt off about a situation and immediately told Kylie. Yes, I completely agree. That was my takeaway. They said the issue with Connie and she stopped and said, he used to call me at four five and six o'clock in the morning. I was the person that I would take his calls when he wanted to rant. I would listen to him. I would be like, I love you. You're the best. Things will get better. I was his go-to person to call when he wasn't happy with X, Y, and Z. How that turned, maybe because I blocked him on my phone because I couldn't bear taking his calls anymore. I can't, I'm drained. So I blocked him on my phone. Obviously that really upset him. So we turned that into, oh, she's this and she's that. The Kardashians all started to ride his wave. If you're that easily swayed like the wind, then do I really give a fuck? Should I, should I give a fuck? I don't know. Was I hurt by it? Yes. But at the same time, I'm like, I've done nothing. I've never done one thing. I've been the most honest and truthful best friend to all of them. Okay. Let me ask you something here. Again, assuming this is true, because why the fuck not just for purposes of this conversation. That is weird. Like, that relationship, if that existed in the way that she's describing it, would be very weird. I don't think that I would feel comfortable with my husband going to my best friend at four, five, and six in the morning to vent. I, I'm just having a hard time believing that one. I know, I know. I obviously, I really like. Usually, I love to talk about things as if they're true and examine them just from that point of view. There's something that just doesn't sound right about that to me that I'm having a hard time believing. The thing with Larsa that's like kind of hard to wrap my head around is that she was on the show and we saw how she handled certain things, specifically the Jordan situation and specifically the fight that they got into in Mexico. So it's kind of hard to come on a podcast and play the innocent victim that the family just decided to cut out when we've seen things that 
very much point to why that could have happened. A thousand percent. That's the thing. When you listen to this, if you know nothing, you're like, wow, she sounds so grounded and she really sounds like, you know, she has her shit together. And if I knew nothing, I would feel like this was a completely fair thing. But then you watch her and her behavior does not add up with the way that she's speaking. Like, I'm sorry. I know that it was one thing and people can have bad nights caught on camera, but the way that she handled that thing in Mexico with, I I think it was Sarah Howard, Courtney's friend, when she like freaked the fuck out, that was a character flaw. That was not like, like you, you don't, if you don't have that in you, you don't react like that. That alcohol can't make you do something that you didn't have inside of you. Do you know what I mean? I completely agree. Like that to me was like really fucking like, like psychopathic behavior, honestly. And you guys have to watch the episode. It's when that, when Courtney's friend, Sarah Howard was like upset about the girl crying in the bathroom and Larsa fucking flipped out on her for like having any sort of compassion or empathy and like wanted to, you know, kind of framed it in a way where she just wanted Courtney to be happy. And like Sarah was uh, bringing down Courtney's shine, but that was like, so not the case. It was so clearly off. And the other thing that I've seen her doing is the Jordan thing. So like, I don't know. History isn't the best indicator of this woman's um, this woman's personality. Listen, I am sure that there is a part of what Larsa is saying here that she genuinely believes is the truth. And when you're somebody who can't really see faults in yourself, it's hard to then go somewhere, explain to somebody what happened and include yourself in that conversation when you don't see it in yourself in the first place. The reason that I say that is because in that Sarah situation, that didn't have to become a thing. Sarah, they were in a foreign country. There was a girl they didn't know, upset in the bathroom, drunk, crying in a bathroom. Anybody with kind of compassion or empathy would have been concerned about this girl as well. And what ended up happening was Larsa was so annoyed that they had to care for somebody that was somebody not in their group that she freaked out and made it this whole big thing and turned it into something it wasn't. And then she could not, for the life of her, understand why people were then mad at her. They, she wanted everybody to be mad at Sarah for helping this poor girl in the bathroom. And when you're somebody like that who just cannot accept your own wrongdoings or faults or anything you can do, you can you've done wrong or could do potentially do wrong, it's really hard to understand the truth of a situation. So yeah, I am sure there is truth to what Larsa is saying. I'm sure she believes this is her truth. Is this the full story? Absolutely fucking not. Did the Kanye thing happen? Maybe to an extent. Maybe there were calls. Maybe Kanye leaned on her a time or two. Is the story just that Kanye called her every single night, four or five o'clock in the morning, venting, needing her, and she couldn't take it and blocked him, and that's all that happened? I can't imagine that to be the case. I beautifully said, I literally cannot agree with anything that you just said, Maura. And the other thing is like, I know some people may disagree with this because some people may feel like it's only fair that she gets to say her piece, but the Kardashians have never spoken on this. And so to me, it's like, you don't get to in the same breath say, I want nothing but the best for them. I would never say a bad word. And then also like say all these things that you know that they would never act like this because they are very private when it comes to the endings of their friendships. So it's not like they're going and smearing her name and she now needs to defend herself. It's it's not their fault that the public perception has gone a certain way. And I think a lot of that is because of the way that she's been acting. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, I don't yeah. think in the same breath you can say you can you can say that you don't want to. It's just so I, I don't know. I can't help it. I'm sorry. I cannot help it. I there's something about this woman's energy that does not 
do it for me. And it's not just us. Literally, since this podcast came out this morning, we have gotten hundreds of messages of people saying the exact same thing. Okay, we're moving into the Tristan thing, so it's too fucking interesting to not. They say, again, Adam and Dax, really good work. Adam, if you are listening to this, this he's been at this for a really long time. The podcast is more of a recent venture. To get so much news from his podcast, I'm just really happy for him. So he said, did you hook up with Tristan Thompson? And she said, I was kind of seeing Tristan before Chloe, by the way. What? what? Before Chloe or any of them knew he existed, I was seeing him. I had him come to LA. I bought him to a party Kim had. I introduced him to all of them. Then a week later or 10 days later, he started seeing Chloe, which is fine. I don't even care. It's whatever. I'm the type of person that doesn't chase what's not for me. I'll never chase a man. I'll never put a leash on a man. I don't do that. I feel like let you be great. If you want to be with other people, go ahead. I'm great by myself. <laughs> okay. What? Then what do you think of Tristan and Chloe being back together? And she basically said, you know, she loves them together. They have a beautiful baby. I'm proud of them. I applaud them. Have you ever been with, have you been with Tristan since he started dating Chloe? No, but it's funny how people think it. I'm the most honest person in the world. Trust me. I would never lie about something like that. It's a lot of self-pros in this interview. (laughs) I was just going to tell you the most honest person in the world does not call themselves the most honest person in the world. All I'm going to say on that. (laughs) It's just Abraham Lincoln and Larsa Pippen out here cannot tell a lie. (laughs) It's like those people that are like, you know, I'm just so humble. I just, I don't know. I'm just so humble. It's like, how humble are you? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. (laughs) If you could say anything to Kanye, what would it be? I don't know. Where's the love? I don't know. The funny thing is I love him. I love all of them. So I don't know. And then they asked if she ever sees their, her friendship ending with the Kardashians. And she's like, nothing happened where I'll never talk to them again. I feel like people go through different things. They handle their problems differently. Um, she basically said, you know, I didn't do shit, so I don't feel like I should beat myself up over it. Do you know what I mean? I'm over that phase. I know what I am. I know the value I bring to all my relationships. I know there's a billion people that are want to be my friend. I'm not the kind of person that wants to be in a bad light with anyone, not my personality. Like, again, very kind of kumbaya. Okay, getting into the Scotty stuff. Was the cheating an, an issue in yours and Scotty's marriages? I think with Scotty and I, a lot of people think he cheated on me and I cheated on him. That was never the case. Infidelity really wasn't what the, it was the demise of our marriage. It was other things. We kind of grew apart and fought over things. It was never another person. It was always the issues. They then asked the question that, I'm going to call this the million dollar question if you're someone who has followed Larsa. Yes? Yes. Were you separated when you started seeing future? She said, no, I would never ask him what he was doing and he would never ask me what I was doing. It wasn't how you're thinking it was. It was definitely a respectable relationship. We were just friends that needed each other at that moment. People make more of it for better conversation. For people to say I cheated on him, it was none of that. I met Future at a dinner party in Miami. We spoke for seven hours the first time I ever saw him. I told him all my life and why I am where I am today. He gave me his whole life story. We related on the most simple organic way. I didn't need anything from him. He didn't need anything from me. We were just two people that were trying to figure out our way. So yes or no? <laughs> no. She, they then ask about Harry. You guys know from Too Hot to Handle because they've been spotted out together. And she was like, no, you know, we're just friends. He has a great personality. She commented age-wise. She was like, what is age? I don't know. She said that they're just friends. But it's funny when she's like, yeah, people love to say that. It's like, yeah, people love to say that because you are literally walking in front of like Saddle Ranch or wherever, like the most crowded thing, making sure the paparazzi sees you. Of course people are going to talk about it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't mean to like take everything that Larsa's saying and just flip it or turn it around. I'm sure there's a lot of truth. I don't mean to just discount everything she's saying. Um, But she definitely has a really interesting way of 
clearly stating only what happened in her mind and not there's definitely some facts that are being scooted around in a lot of what she's saying. Well, you can't have all of these things happen to you and then just act like you somehow are miraculously the one in the situation. It's it's a completely lack of acknowledgement of any sort of self-involvement. And I'm not like forget about any of the stuff with her marriage because that's just really not fair to talk about, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's no shaming. I'm sure her and Scotty had a fine arrangement. Like do whatever you want. I'm good for you, honestly, like there's no judgment there. That's not even what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about when it comes to the relationship stuff with like the family and with all of these other people, or even just with like when they're talking about Harry, you have to at least acknowledge that there was some part of this where you came across like you were very thirsty. Like there's there's a reason that every single person thinks that. It's not everybody else is the crazy one. At a certain point, you have to do some self-reflection. But at a certain point, you have to acknowledge why people feel that way about you. It's not everybody else. I don't know. I don't I don't like talking about people like this because I don't like when I feel like I'm just not saying positive things. I don't I you know what I mean? Like it's not right. a, it's not a fun <laughs> feeling. Like we no, went it's true. Like, we were like we were like, okay, let's just take it as true. And then every single question we're like, okay, listen. <laughs> exactly. And I, I hate that. Like I know some people's like, oh well, you guys are too positive. No, because there's so much fucking hate in the world. Like I don't want to put that out. We have a response, we have a podcast three times a week. I don't need to sit here and say like the meanest things about people. There's a lot of other people that do that. We purposely don't want that to be our place. And if you don't want to listen because of that, that's totally fine. I just like our our consciences don't work well with having that information every single week. However, I can't lie. So this is a huge thing that just came out. And of course, we're going to talk about it. And I have never gotten a good energy from this woman way before she had a falling out with the Kardashians. So don't think this is like a in defense of the Kardashians things. When she was best, best, best friends with them, we still felt this way. There's just something about her energy. And I know it's not just us. I know it's not just us. And I also know even people that dislike the Kardashians also aren't like so fond of her. I don't think people are reading this. Even people that dislike the Kardashian is like, yeah, she got them because it just, it doesn't add up. There's something off. You can't say all of this and then not say the other side or just mm-hmm. don't say anything at all then. I so agree with you. It just, even if you think the Kardashians are people who are like capable of just cutting somebody out of their lives for no reason, you know that any relationship your own personal relationships, other celebrity relationships, anybody in your life, you know that things don't just happen like that, just by laws of logic and human nature. So even if you're somebody that hates the Kardashians and you read this, you know that something's just a little bit off with the way she's explaining it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I wish we would have said this at the beginning, but exactly. That's how, that's beautifully put in exactly how I feel. And I don't think we should give this any more airtime, but between this and Carl Lentz, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what to tell you. It was an election last week. Not a lot of A-list drama happened, but you know what? We're going to fucking talk about it because everybody wants to hear about it because our DMs are flooded with this. So clearly people care. I fucking love when it's just a step down from what we normally do, but we're just a step up in terms of enthusiasm. <laughs> I know, I know. Like I, Oh God. Uh, okay. Any other thing on that or can I move on to the next thing? No, please move on. <laughs> Okay. So quickly just reports that Tristan put his house on the market in LA. Chloe also listed her house. And according to this article, you know, they're trying to keep it private, but they want to have a new fresh start and move in together. Again, I can't tell you that's hundred percent true, but the listings definitely are the case. And personally, after that whole renovation she did on her bedroom, I'm sad to see it go, but I am sure that whatever property she moves to will be equally as beautiful. Um, um, 
Oh, oh. you were done with the house thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. What do you want to say? We're just like selling a Martin Lawrence Ballard designed house that like Chloe <laughs> designed from scratch. We have to say goodbye to it. We're just going to move on in one second. We're just no, going to say goodbye to the outside patio, the chaise, all of it in just one second. I did not mean to uh, rob you of time to mourn. So if you'd like to say anything, please go ahead. Um, I think the thing that we left out is also just the house has been sold apparently like in an off market deal. But I loved that house. I get that they're probably looking for a fresh start, but it just makes me so sad when I watch celebrities pour so much into a house, do such beautiful design, have the best people do it, the best people brought in. And then we just move on to the next thing. Like I was just, I was just learning the layout. I was just getting used to it. I was just like feeling the black floors all over again. And now I just have to say goodbye. Uh, Julie, I could not feel you more. However, I've gotten completely jaded to it after Kylie. Kylie really ripped my heart, fucking stomped on it and then didn't even care. So I don't have any more. um, But Kylie can't even. Kylie just added new ones. (laughs) I know, but still, it's like you you feel like that's their place. I mean, it's not just the Kardashians. There's so many celebrities that do this. It's a constant thing. I don't understand that. Like, I don't know. I guess you can't say what you would do until you're a celebrity, until you have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars kind of at your disposal. But I don't think that for either of us, this would really change. It's like we are so not fans of change in our own personal lives. Like, I think you and I just really value consistency that like, if I was really comfortable, I don't know if I'm going to uproot my entire life, my entire house, all of my comforts just for a little bit of a bigger space. I know when you're that famous, you have people doing it for you. You probably can wake up there the next day and just have to bring your toothbrush. But I still think there's something to be said for like that sense of consistency. Like Courtney hasn't been moving constantly. You know what else is funny? Um, the way that celebrities play musical house. As in the yes. sense of like, yes, exactly. Like, old house was Justin Bieber's old house, and the Sway house, the new one, was also Justin Bieber's old house. And this person lives in this person's house. And who was it? Fuck, I, I know you're gonna be so mad for not remembering. I didn't even think about this till now. Who was on Ellen saying that they lived at Rihanna's old house and they keep getting her mail? Oh, God, I, I know. I can't remember. That's my favorite thing ever. But that's what celebrities yeah, do. Like, it's just like you get used to a house. And the other thing with celebrities, like just expanding on this for one second, I know you wanted to move on, was like typically you don't get used to a celebrity in a house because you don't see it that often. You see a couple of Snapchat stories or Instagram stories. Um, so when they move, it's not like jarring for you. But with the Kardashians, like their house, you learn so intimately that when they're in a new one, you're like, great, I got to do this all over again. It's like, I hate change in my own life. Now I got to do it with you. Exactly. It's very unsettling. No, no, no. I feel the same way. That's a good episode to do, actually. I know we did that with jo- a little bit with Jonathan Adler, but that's a good one of like celebrity homes that were previously owned by others. Because there's so much crossover. Demi Lovato, Adele. Um, I don't even know. So many. You want to know what the best case scenario in the Rihanna was, one was? What? It was Chrissy. <laughs> oh, right. It was Chrissy. Again, speak- that's another one that just moved. It's crazy. I... Would love you know how we always talk about like celebrity webbing or chains of like I would love to do that with just houses. Yeah, we should. That's a great episode. We should do that. Yeah, it's probably it probably needs a visual element, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, I feel good about moving on though. For the record, I feel like I got it out of my system. So thank you for letting me do that. Oh my god, of course, I'm so glad you did. I just think it's the Scott and Amelia thing people want are confused about because basically, you guys remember last week 
Scott and Amelia arrived, I believe, at Kendall's party at the same time. There were all these headlines. And we said, like, there's no way that they're together. She's still with her boyfriend, Mercer Wiederhorn. And they probably just showed up at the same time. Again, for anybody who doesn't know, Amelia Gray Hamlin is a model and also the daughter of Lisa Rinna and Harry Hamlin. Okay, she's also 19 years old. So then this past weekend, they both posted stories from the same Italian restaurant. And one wrote, family dinner. And Scott wrote, my love, underneath the pasta. So Everybody is setting it down. It's like, oh my God, are they together? Are they together? So they were also with Marie Lou Bartoli, who is Chloe Bartoli's sister. Remember, Scott was hooking up with her a while ago. And she Marie Lou Bartoli is Amelia's stylist. And they are a friend group. If you go back on her Instagram, it's like Marie L O U Bartoli B A R T O L I. You can see pictures from a while ago. They're all at Nobu together with a group. Like, this is not to me, again. I guess technically you never know. To me, there's like 0% of this that's Amelia and Scott hooking up. I think they're all a friend group. I think Scott is very close with Marie and Marie is obviously Amelia's stylist. And as a result of that, they've all hung out together. You see dinners of them with a lot of other guys. I I really like, it's not just me trying to give Scott the benefit of the doubt. I genuinely believe this is 100% just um, a like friend group thing. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. She's very young in my opinion. She is very young, but don't you think? I mean, doesn't she also have her boyfriend? And the last I knew, she was very serious with her boyfriend. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, listen, it was definitely something that we weren't expecting where you saw them walk into the party together. We assumed it was nothing. And then all of a sudden they were at dinner posting the same table. Um, so that was definitely out of left field, but there was another person there. So it does seem like just a friend group situation. I know she captioned her photo like family dinner. Um, You typically wouldn't post that caption with somebody that you're just seeing and one other person. So I do think that it's a very platonic, just a friend thing. Um, But I think you can't talk about the story and the potential of it being a thing without mentioning the age aspect. Oh, for sure. I mean, she's literally 19. But like I said last week, and I love Scott as much as the next guy, probably more it is a little bit concerning that people even believed it because that just proves that goes to show, I guess his, uh, his pattern. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's true, but I do think it's even concerning that people like didn't hesitate in believing it. What's funny about that. Like one little quick anecdote is that, um, Sophia Richie had posted something about voting and my sister was reading it to me and she was like, why is this the first time that Sophia Richie voted? And I was like, I think this was the first time she was able to vote. And she was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, no? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. It's a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um also by the way, she's going strong with her boyfriend Matthew Morton, this Chacha Matcha guy. Seems like they're really in it. I love matcha for her. Love matcha for her. It just screams it really just screams Sophia, doesn't it? It it really does. Yeah. The color scheme also of Chacha Matcha screams Sophia to me. Could not agree more. Also, we spoke at length on the Kardashian bonus show, so not going to get into it, but don't think we forgot about that picture Courtney posted of her and Scott on her story of her in that red dress from season one. We are, we have not lost hope. So don't think in any of these conversations that's, that's not there. It's always at the back of our minds. No, I will never lose hope. I know I lost hope once, but I'm never making that mistake again. (laughs) You're not. Also, Lamar Odom and his fiance, Sabrina Parr, called off their engagement. They got engaged last year, November 2019, after three months of dating. And uh, they called it off. So we'll see what happens there. Of course, like, there's like no part of me that thinks that Chloe and Lamar would ever get back together. I really, truly think that that is 100% that ship has sailed. However, 
I'd be lying if I said to you that for not a split second was I like, oh, like literally a split second then the thought left my mind, but I did think it for like a split second. The way I feel about Chloe and Lamar is that I think they will never, ever, ever, ever get back together, but never for one second do I doubt the fact that they're soulmates. Oh yeah. I think that she will always love him. I think that they are in another world where things went the right way. That was it for them. And I, I still think it's unfortunate that it couldn't work for just a multitude of reasons that I could not understand, sympathize with, uh, empathize with more, but those two should have been Endgame in an in an alternate universe. I agree. I agree. Okay, is there anything else you want to mention about anything? I think that's it. I think that's it too. Oh, that was that was a right. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I had the best time, obviously. Um, so we are going to cut now to our interview with Bob Saget. Again, we only thought we had 15 minutes. It was supposed to be mass singer focused. And then we kind of just got off track. We spoke. I don't even know about a bunch of things. I literally said to him, you know, it's kind of crazy to be talking to Danny Tanner. So cutting to that. And uh, we love you guys. Julie and I will see you on Thursday for our bonus show. And Isabel and I will see you on Friday for our Bravo show. Okay. We are so excited to be here with Bob Saget. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? We're good. Thank you so much for for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, I'm I'm a dethroned squiggly. <laughs> they took yeah. my head off. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, I want to. I kind of want to talk about that entire experience because you were revealed last night on the Mass Singer as the Squiggly Monster. I was watching yeah. the entire thing. So first, just tell me about how that process kind of was for you. You know, I really loved doing it, and it was a show that I'd been asked to do before, and I have so many friends affiliated with it. Ken Jong's a friend, and and uh, Robin Thicke I've known since he was a kid, you know. I, I spoke at his dad's second wedding. I spoke at his dad's memorial. I was friends with Alan and, and the whole family, and and I, I, I knew Wayne Brady and, and Nick Cannon, and so Nicole and Jenny I just met, you know, casually over the years, but it was something that I didn't expect would happen and all the way the I'm grammatically so correct all the way the world has been going uh, <laughs> the world has just been so you know uh, uh, sad and so messed up and so to be asked to do it now it was a no-brainer it was like you know hey uh, do you want to do the show and I went uh what do I wear? Right. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I did, I'd done one performance, uh, a little place about six months ago in LA for my friend Tom Papa. And then Dave Chappelle called and said, you want to do comedy camp in Ohio? And I went, yeah. And so I went and did that. And that was so wonderful. I loved it so much. So this show happened. And then uh, they asked me, do, who do I want to be? And they gave me, you know, a bunch of costume options. And I went, oh, squiggly. And my wife was like, squiggly, be squiggly. I want you to be squiggly. And I'm like, okay. And then you get serious about it. And all of a sudden you're in a furry outfit that, you know, it's like, and I've got a 35 pound head, which hinders your vocal cords, especially if there's foam holding it on. So all this stuff. So I felt bad for Big Bird on ice for the first time in my life. <laughs> and so Ken's like texting me, hey, you'd love to be a guest judge on on Mass Singer. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of busy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I signed like NDAs. So my wife had to 
can't tell anybody. And, you know, she's telling her parents in Chicago, by the way, Bob's on, I can see your voice tonight, but watch the show before it. And her mom's like, why, why is it so important? It's like, no, just watch. It's a really good show. (laughs) (laughs) My oldest daughter knew about it. Stamos knew about it. Cause, and Nick Cannon, I know for years. So it was like, you know, it was, it was a really wonderful thing to do. It's funny because we didn't even find out that we were interviewing you until like 10 p.m. last night because of how secretive this entire thing is. And I was talking to some people kind of behind the scenes and they were saying like, he pulls up in a tinted car. It's incredibly, you know, it's a whole operation. So that's so different than anything you're probably used to normally. Yeah. Most people, when I show up, they want me to be masked anyway, just because they can't, (laughs) you know, they can't take it. But, but yeah, you've got, I've got an N95 on, I've got a driver. It says, SM on the car, Squiggly Monster. I didn't know it was my car ever. Um, and then I, I've got a hoodie on and the hoodie says, don't talk to me on it it's with a zipper. And then I've got a visor on and the hoodie's up and it looks like I work for some fringe group. And um, and then I get there and you know, there's an AD that greets me and he's got a walkie talkie and he goes, I've got Squiggly walking, Squiggly's walking. And they, they hide mushroom and they hide, you know, I, I got little, little pieces of seeing glimpses in the peripheral of some of the other characters, but I never got to hear them. And they had to tape the mic to my, my lobster claw because I had four hands. Two of them were mine. And, and I got to look at the judges and perform for them. And that's, there's no nerves with that. The, the, the only thing that upset me was getting beheaded, um, I wanted to go the next week also because yeah. I, re- I was ready to sing Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash. So. <laughs> I also I also have to tell you, when they were taking off that head, for a second I was like, oh, my God, this is really an operation. I didn't know if they were going to make it. It was a real pull, you know? That's what I thought, too. <laughs> well, it, it, I think that's a little bit exaggerated for camera because it's, <laughs> it's not that hard. But, and, and, of course, all the talent can't wait to get the thing off. I was really happy I did it. And the show's just – so perfect for right now it is it's like an oasis in the middle of this weird configuration of uncertainty and pain and people are scared and people are angry and this shows the opposite of all of that it's funny because when you were saying before just about how you know you're doing i can see your voice on fox and i know you have your podcast and i guess just something that i'm curious about because you've been in the industry for such a long time and I always am curious about how people like you that I've always gotten the sense just really enjoy working, like how this time, maybe a little less now, but at least in the beginning of COVID, you know, how was that for you? Because I find so many times we talk to people in the industry and it's like, really, that's where their stimulation comes from, you know, that constant working. So I'm kind of just curious how that was for you. Well, I I have a very strong work ethic and I also do a bunch of different things. So like I'm writing a script to direct right now. I'm performing. I've got uh, my schedule for next year is everything moved from this year. I had to cancel Canada. But what happened to me, I didn't cancel the country. I had to cancel my dates there. <laughs> but, I, but, but here we are in like in February and I'm, I'd already chosen to do a podcast like the year before and was looking for the right home for it and then found Studio 71 and everything was great. And I was going in studio for the first two shows and then they tell me you can't come into studio anymore. So I was already having a a bunch of guests and, you know, friends, Stamos and John Mayer and and different people that I care about that are close that were my first guests. And then 
all of a sudden the board came to the house and I'm recording audio. So I've got the podcast board in my home. It's where I do it. And then I turned into zoom and then I've been, you know, I'm, I think I'm on my 65th show or something right now. I've been really, really busy. It's, it's really interesting. I'm uh, because I always am finding a, a way to do something that entertains right. people. Right. Oh, for sure. I mean, I would imagine you get a lot of joy just from, you're like a natural born entertainer, you know, that's kind of your happiness. I, I, <laughs> I am. Do you find yourself ever getting nervous after having done this stuff for so long? Just generally, is there any gig you can think about in recent experience? Well, actually, I could say recently. I mean, when I did the Dave Chappelle Summer a Comedy Camp um, in Ohio, uh, there was a moment where I had all this stuff I wanted to say. I had a certain amount of time to say it. I didn't know I was trying new stuff because, but it's like I hadn't even been on stage. You know, I hadn't. I'd went up for one ten-minute set like four months earlier, in, in some you know eighteen-person warehouse that was safe with COVID testing and all that, your own mics and all that. But yeah. this was, I so I was nervous for a couple of minutes because I didn't know what I was doing. And I purposely did a joke that offended everybody because that's what you do. And, yeah. uh, and Dave Chappelle and he said, what's the joke? And I told him, I said, open with it. I'm like, well, this is, yeah, but, and then I kind of did. And then it took me like three minutes to dig out. So that, <laughs> that's, you know, that's the bad boy in me, but that's, it's still, uh, I loved it. You know, I loved every minute of it. And so that's sometimes nerves hit. I wanted to ask you something. Cause when you're talking about comedy, you know, it's a little, if I'm just being honest, it is a little kind of surreal for us in, just in this moment because we grew up with Danny Tanner. You know, you were such a big part of our childhood. And I'm curious because as you get older, you know, when you realize these people are not their characters. And I remember there was a time as I got older and I realized like you are, you know, a comedian. And honestly, you're known in a lot of ways for having this kind of like raunchy sense of humor. And I, something I've always wanted to ask you is like how the role of, Danny Tanner kind of impacted if it did that that part of your comedy since it's almost like two opposing brands yet both so strong and both so likable. Uh well thanks. I, I was not always likable when I came out with my real comedy cuz I was doing that when I was 17 and I was all musical comedy doing comedy songs and then I came out to LA and in 78, started working at the comedy store for eight years. So that was in just in that documentary that my friend Mike Binder made about the comedy store and about the heyday of it. And I was there during that where Richard Pryor said, hey, you're funny, man, and became friendly with Robin and all the people that you looked up to. I was uh, struggling, but I was still with the greats and learning stuff um, and suffering. <laughs> but that's, that's what you do. But um, – <laughs> Yeah, so I had a really irreverent sense of humor, and there was a time in the middle of when Full House and the video show were on the air at the same time, and they're in the top 10, and I did an HBO special that um, it missed the mark. I wasn't happy with it, but some people loved it, and it did well ratings-wise, but I, I didn't want it seen anymore. It's kind of purposely disappeared. But then I did another one for HBO called That Ain't Right, and that was, I'd say, my my R-rated one where I, I dropped a lot of F-bombs and that, that would have been a bad drinking game for people, how many times I cursed. But I, was, <laughs> I did it at NYU at Skirball Theater. So it was like, what am I going to do? My audience is 20. So um, I, I did what felt right. And it was very well received. And then some people went, 
I, I was doing a benefit for scleroderma because I do them all the time. And my sister, I lost a sister to that disease. And so I was doing a benefit and I've been doing them for 30 years. And this was about the time that special came out. So that was like 2007. So I'm uh, at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel ballroom and I walk past a guy and he says, why did you do that? I said, what? I'm sorry, we're putting on the benefit tonight. Why did you do that special? It's the most disgusting thing I ever saw. <laughs> I said, I, I'm, I'm really sorry. Uh, that's what I did. And uh, I'm proud of it. And, and in retrospect, you know, you, you can't do some of those jokes I'd be canceled for uh, today, but not really. I mean, maybe, but <laughs> I don't act on them. You know, it's, it's a thing I just say what's I like to do gallows humor and I like to do stuff that's inappropriate, but we're in a time where I'm much more sensitive to that. So I've changed because humor's changed. You watch some movies from years ago and you go, whoa, right. you know, but, and, and then my last special was, you know, and I sing music in all my specials. So people that know my standup probably recognize my voice, like Candace Cameron Bure, my wonderful TV daughter, she knew right away. She sent me a text. Oh my God, this is you. I knew it from the second verse. Um, <laughs> and that was last week. So, you know, it was, it's, and then people are signing NDAs, so they can't tell anybody. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I saw, I actually saw, you know, cause our whole thing is comments. Actually your wife, Kelly has been very supportive of the account. And, but I saw, uh, Candace's comment on that post saying exactly that. She's like, I knew it was you from the second I heard it. <laughs> yeah, it was so cute. And and then she, she went on and on about it last night. Um, you know, it's just, and Stamos was like excited about it. He's just like a brother to me, you know? And right. so I, I'm really lucky. And that's what we all want to do is hold on to people that are, that we care about and have as much human connection as we can right now. Cause Everything seems to be falling apart, but it's not going to. It's going to be okay, and it's going to be difficult. Um, yeah. We'll probably have the election results when they have the vaccine. <laughs> it's a little bizarre to even just be – for me, I've just been so glued to the television that I was excited we were doing this because it was such a nice little kind of break in my day from the anxiety, you know? That's for me too. The world is so on – on, wow, we're, we're all on alert in some weird way of what could happen, you know? If you yeah. ever have that, do you have that citizen app? Do you ever look at that? I had to delete it. <laughs> yeah, because it, it goes off. If you have an alert, it says, you know, car accident somewhere and or, you know, COVID cases up. Or sometimes it'll say, you know, at this, at this intersection, man with stick. And I'm like, why is, why is that there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, man exposing himself. And I'm like, is that the yeah, same guy as man with stick? Is that <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a crazy time. And I actually, you know, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's like during this time, you find that there are bonds with people, even if you're not seeing them, you like really rely on your friendships. And when you're talking about John Stamos or Mayor or, or you know, Dave, something that I've always... I guess, noticed about you, obviously not knowing you personally, is you seem to have a very, Julie, we talk about this a lot. Like you seem to have a very kind of eclectic group of people in your life and they seem like they've been in your life for a very long time. And I would imagine, I guess, I don't know how, well, how do you ensure that you're maintaining these relationships? Cause it seems like something that you really excel at. Well, that's sweet. <laughs> I, I think, you know, real friends some people go, well, I didn't hear back from that person. It's like, well, just relax because right. people drift out of 
favor with each other for a while or their just minds aren't there. I have friends from 30 years ago that I've reached out to and not gotten the results I wanted. And I just go, well, that's where they're at. And I guess that's where I'm at in that relationship. So move on to something else. Or if you need human contact, contact someone you know is receptive or because everybody gets that no matter how popular you are in high school there's always someone <laughs> that that disses you and you're going well, weren't we besties i'm watching that pen 15 show and it's it just takes you back to that teenage time of of what life is like and it's like that it's like that when you get older and you go am i in junior high and okay. then you realize who your friends are and you get to be friends with people and they're there. And if you don't see someone for two years, three years, I have friends I haven't seen for 10 years. And it's not that we're not friends anymore, or maybe we became acquaintances, but we're more than acquaintances because we shared some serious time together. It's just like you pick up where you're left off. And as you get older, you realize that they're just part of, you know, of that group in your life or, or that those moments in your life and you can go right back to them. And also I'm making a, I have a couple new friends and it's like, wow, I don't need any new friends, but, <laughs> but, but I love it. I love it. It's so exciting to go, Hey, I'm now I'm talking to you all the time. And it's like, how long is this going to last? Cause we're both, you know, f- funny about it. And it's just, it's, and doing a podcast really helps too. Cause I get to talk to people and I'm very sincere in what I do. So all of a sudden, it's like, I, it's not just a podcast. They're in my life now. If I don't know them well, normally I have people on that I know or or I've had been on their podcast or I just know them because I met them and they're, you know, they have a career in news or I didn't know I was connected, you know, to certain people. Jake Tapper, all of a sudden, I'm interviewing on my podcast because our moms worked at Children's Hospital together. And my mom used to tell his mom that I was going to be a big star one day. And he was a kid, a kid in Philly. So, you know, it's just you don't know where you meet people and just be open to any human connection you can have that's positive for you rather than doing what a lot of people do, which is seek out the negative because they're angry and they're and, you know, people get catty and do all that stuff that doesn't serve anybody. And we're in that world right now. We're in, well, if you believe this, then then I, I can't be friends with you. Well, uh, okay. That doesn't make any sense, but okay. Because yeah. you should be friends with people that are valuable, you know. Yeah. Right. And as long as you keep Samos close by, you're in good shape. Oh, I've always got him nearby. He moved further away, but we don't care. We're in quarantine. and And it was his birthday, and he had a, he had a drive-in set up at his house. We wore masks and we were on a blanket next to each other watching showgirls. <laughs> 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 and we we posted it with uh, Elizabeth Berkeley and then we tagged her and she was like, hey guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's it's not just a bunch of showbiz people. It's it's that that's a group that I don't need to be in a club of who's the it's yeah. that's high school. That's high school popularity, but it's just people that are sincere, and uh, those are the people that I I'm drawn to. People that have deep caring about life and their their loved ones and the world, and g- give a crap about things. Yeah, well, it's it's like you said, it's very rare nowadays. So I I totally understand why you gravitate towards that. 
I just wanted to ask you something because you had mentioned it earlier, but it's something I'd actually always wanted to talk to you about because I lost my best friend's mom to scleroderma. A oh couple my of God. Years. I'm so sorry. No, thank you. I'm, I'm so sorry about your sister. Um, Thanks. And I, and I just, you know, people really are unfamiliar with the disease. And I guess just because she was such a huge part of my life, Joyce, we grew up together, you know, so um, I felt like I experienced it firsthand. And I, when I was reading kind of about how you got involved, your involvement with it came even before your sister's diagnosis, which is something I found really interesting. And I was wondering if you could just talk about that a little. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I met this woman, Sharon Monsky. She was the founder of the Scleroderma Research Foundation. And she was decided that comedy was the way to deal with this disease to raise money. And Robin Williams was the first person that she and my friend Susan Feniger, who's one of the two hot tamales and Top Chef and Border Grill uh, chefs, and uh, that was Sharon's friend. They went to Pitzer College together. And Sharon was this vital, amazing woman that was going to be an Olympic ice skater. That was her dream. And and um, she got sick with this disease and and had three children with it. And the disease would go into remission while she was pregnant. So it was a very strong person. And the kids are all healthy and beautiful and like family to me. And then I did the, Robin Williams did the event the first time because they accosted him in their rest, in Susan's restaurant. And then um, they started to enlarge the event. And uh, Sharon would have a lot of different celebrities and, not celebrities. I mean, you know, well-known actors and stuff come and writers and uh, people affected by the disease. So I'm doing the event for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden my sister gay in Philadelphia area gets sick and we don't know what it is. And they did what a lot of people do. They made up what they thought it was. They told her it was mental issues. They told her it was lupus. They told her it was just everything. They just didn't know. And they guinea pigged her and she was deathly ill. And then she came out to California and was diagnosed with scleroderma. And then that year she came to the benefit and was sitting with my parents at a table near the front. And the following year, she was no longer with us. That's how fast she, she was a really quick progression and she was 47. And so that was uh, 1994. And then I wanted to do as much as I could to put it on the map because nobody even knew what it was. And it's, it means hardening of the skin, sclero, um, derma skin and sclero is hardening of. So uh, we did these comedy benefits and everybody's done them pretty much. And so we just did one virtually October 18th and we raised $1.1 million. And and so many people do stuff for me on it. Just so many beloved people. It was Jason Alexander and Bill Burr and Jack Black and Regina Hall and John Stamos and John Mayer sang and Pat Monahan and Kelly Clarkson sang. And, and then so many comedians that I just adore and that are friends. And we raised a lot of money and it was virtual, which was pretty amazing. Joe Gallon exec produced it. And so I, that was just what we did during this time to try to make some money. But we've raised over $45 million in 30 years that I've been involved. And the money goes right to research centers that we fund to help them find the cure and uh, or find what can put this disease in remission. And they really are doing better. More people could be – I believe my sister could have lived at least another 10 years with a quality of life. 
if if she wasn't guinea pigged and I mean, I could have sued the doctor that did what he did to her. It was horrific what was done to her. This cortisone and prednisone drove her crazy. And it was her- terrible what people go through. So I'm sorry about your friend's mom. That's just, um, how old was she? She was um, 60, I believe. You know, it was, I, I have to say though, seriously, you know, when you're talking about it, it's true. There's not enough awareness. And I've always just uh, commended you for that. I can't imagine I... I know your sister must be looking down just with so much pride. Um, oh, thanks. I guess I, I just would like to end with, uh, I think people, you know, find a lot of uh, hope from you. I think, like I said, a lot of our audience, I would imagine, grew up with you as we did. So is there a message you want to give to people that are feeling hopeless or just any, uh, I don't know, any Bob Saget wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? <laughs> well, I don't think I'm the wisest guy. I know people that are. I know a couple of people that I really look up to. Like Norman Lear is someone that I I treasure, and he's a saint. And he's ninety eight years old, and he's making television shows. And more importantly, he's one of the kindest, most caring human beings on the planet, who's who's you know, a pioneer in, in the world. And his whole thing is, you know, all we have is this moment, and then the next. So what people tend to do, especially when they're locked up, like they are, or people that aren't locked up and renegade going and doing whatever they want and you know and not believing in the pandemic look at or don't believe in science or any of that you know i guess people have a right to their ignorance if they want it you know i want to be ignorant you got it you that's yours just don't breathe on me um but um you know, they might get mad at me for saying that, but it's the truth. It, it, it's a real disease and it, it, it can kill you. So I guess to stay in the moment and if you're scared and if you're financially in huge trouble, which a bunch of people are, and you're incredibly lonely and you're feeling like everything is lost, um, there's that Coldplay song, Everything's Not Lost, and that's not a bad mantra is to somehow have that little tap on the shoulder that lets you know that uh, you're feeling things on your shoulder that aren't real. So you should see a doctor, but no, but that's sorry. I couldn't help it, but <laughs> is, is to realize you got to stop dwelling in the past and you have to also then have your own wits about you to watch this stuff that seems so sad and so hopeless and go, this is going to pass. It's not going to stay like this. Uh, and you have to think that. I mean, if I turn on the TV right now, I'm not going to be happy because yeah. there's nothing but uncertainty and you have to somehow find things outside of it. And people always, I used to have a friend that would say, do a puzzle with a friend, you know, that's like, <laughs> like a Hallmark <laughs> card. But the truth of it is, is to get out and try to breathe some healthy air if you can if it's freezing where you are, then I don't know. Uh, breathe some cold air. Do mm-hmm. some things physically that get your body moving. Do things that get your mind stimulated. Look, if you're into, if you can't work out or if you're not feeling it or you're too depressed, try to watch things that don't take you further into the abyss. Try to watch life affirming comedies or things that made you feel good at some point. Or, or I would say communicate with other people, reach out to people that aren't just 
you're not you can commiserate about the difficulties you're going through but someone has to take the upper hand in pulling you out of the swamp that we're stuck in yeah just just in our minds so we can get through this yeah absolutely. yeah absolutely yeah sorry that was so long-winded do you have no, any words no. of wisdom no but i got about 90 paragraphs <laughs> I have no. a quick 6,000 words. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love it. I think people need to hear that. I just, I'm so grateful to you for taking the time. I know this was incredibly short notice, but I'm really glad we did it. And uh, thank Me you. Me too. Thank you. Thank Very you. Glad. You guys stay well and uh, don't talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like, You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.